If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. In chapter 14, again, is a wonderful chapter because the wonder of the chapter and the blessing and the power of the chapter is within the next few chapters, again, is the majority within the words of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Each chapter coming up, and from the last ones we've read, are probably minimal 90% of the chapters are strictly the words of Christ. And I've always enjoyed reading just even simply that. I have a New King James Bible that I read from, which the letters in red were the recorded words of our Lord. And there was a day where basically all I wanted to do in my gospel readings was just focus on those red words. You know, I just wanted to hear what he had to say. And so we're getting that. We're getting that within 90, 95% or more of chapter 14. We're going to be looking at today in chapter 14 on the, the, the footsteps and the blessings of that of discipleship. And, and so, when we look at that, and we look at the way our Lord puts it in his parabolic teaching, we can almost look at an example of such as that, like of a gambler, if you will. Somebody who is willing to take a complete risk on everything they have because of their confidence in their card, in their, in their hand that they're playing cards with. Now, I've never been a gambler. I've, I've never gotten into it. I've never been really interested into it. But I've watched it on television and I've, I've seen the shows before where, uh, people are basically looking at one another with their hand and then some are, some of them are reluctant, but then there's that, those, that few that are very, very confident that they have the winning hand. And with, with pride and confidence, they put down their winning hand, thinking they had won, and then the next person ahead of them had the winning hand, and they lost everything. Well, in the words of our Lord of what we're going to see, we're going to see Him requiring us to put everything down on the line. But not in the form of a gamble. See, when, when you serve Christ, especially in that form of discipleship, it's not a lose thing on earth here it's a, it's really it's a gain it might look like a lose to the world but you're you're gaining from an eternal perspective you you can basically lay it all down on the line and have confidence to know that i'm going to come out on top when it's all said and done because Christ himself said to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And again, as I like to make known what that is, only he knows. Those are the blessings that he can give and only he can give because everything else we do on our own is nothing but a gamble. But when we're serving him, and we're serving him wholeheartedly without a care or concern of what the world thinks or does, then it's a guarantee versus that of a gamble. The Lord guarantees the joy, he guarantees the blessings, he guarantees the, the rewards in our eternal life. But when we, start to, when we start to desire his desires, well then everything else starts to come into play with ease. When we have our own desires, and he gives us the, the, he gives us the, the desires of our heart, but as long as they're in his will, but when we start to desire the Lord's desires... There is a more heavenly peace in the lives of, of our Christian brothers and sisters who have gotten to that place 
that are willing to put it on the line because of the guarantee versus the gamble of, of dealing with the world uh, and then dealing with uh, serving Christ in a partial situation. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 6 as we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 14. It says, now, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, and that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. You know, earlier in chapter 7, which is halfway ago in verse 36, Jesus was invited to eat at another Pharisee's house. And of course, the interesting discussion came into play of those things regarding the Sabbath. But Luke here being the group physician, he identifies the man's disease of dropsy, which was a, it's an, an abnormal flow of fluid in the body tissues. And he just happens to be inside of this Pharisee's house. Now, this Pharisee was a leader amongst the others, so he had a higher ranking. Now, they obviously kept forgetting the abilities of Christ, though. Not just in his healing abilities, but his, also his abilities to read their minds without even saying a word. They were trying to trap him in breaking a legalistic law that they created, or, or tweaked, if you will. But many could be surprised that Jesus would even enter, entertain the thought of going there. But he was not intimidated by them. He knew that he had to be amongst them as well. See, it was a good thing. Because you can't know a straight line until you've actually seen what a crooked line looks like. And, and these Pharisees never had seen a straight line until Christ was amongst them. They, they couldn't answer his question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We don't know how many deaths occurred on a Sabbath day due to the belief that it was unlawful to treat a sick person on that day, but yet he called them out on rescuing their own donkey out of a pit if it fell into one. And, and I say that because it most likely happened as he called them out. He, he called them out on that because there's a good chance that they did just that. See, it's always about the popularity and the fact that the Pharisees were losing their popularity. They didn't like that. Uh, people were coming from all over to not just be healed of something, but to actually hear the greatest teaching ever. And that's what most likely had to anger them the most, that there was somebody that was, that was coming to hear one person versus these top educated Pharisees who were teaching laws that they actually added and created on. You know, we take rabbis that were starting in the ministry. They were allowed to do so at the age of 30. Okay, so Jesus started at age 30. So at this point, he was probably 31 or 2 at this time. Where an established Pharisee was an older seasoned scholar of Jewish law. And here's Jesus making them look like an ignorant child coming into a synagogue for the first time. They couldn't answer his question. Now, even the leader amongst them was stumped. And I always say leave it to the Lord to open the eyes and hearts of people with a parabolic teaching. So as we continue, as he made that good point, let's take a look here at what he continues to teach here of importance in verse 7 to 14. 
So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come in and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, that he may may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you have a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back, and you're being repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, in in many chapters I, I teach... And I make known two things that the Lord loves, which is uh, faith and obedience. But I've also, I've also made known that there is a third thing that the Lord also loves. And the third thing he taught by great example was that of humility. What, what Christ was teaching was what should be reminded to us today. And that is that service is more important than status in the kingdom of God. Uh, those who looked best in what they have done are those who have not been seen by the public, is what the Lord is saying. But by the heavenly eyes of our Lord, you know, who's seen his children do things in his name, and for his eyes only were the ones who were truly blessed. It's typical for many to gain social status, but at what cost? How many are we willing to hurt in order to gain the status? How many are we willing to trample over to ride and not just uh, the stretch limousine, but to sit in the king's chair of the limo? And I love how he puts it to them. The blessing to those who looks for a place to serve instead of a place to sit. And then to the ones hosting, don't be looking to invite the exclusive only, but to all people of all status. Why? Because, see, God invites all to his kingdom. At times, inviting the exclusive only are the first to judge and critique you. (laughs) And to critique your banquet behind your back, you know. With no qualms about eating and drinking everything you put out versus someone else who is blessed and thankful just to actually be there. I've seen some dear friends who are are more like siblings to me who every time, uh, every time we would have a large gathering... And when it was over, I would actually find her in the kitchen cleaning up and washing dishes. And, and he, her husband would be picking up stuff every time. And I always thought, man, what an example. But for me, I just love having him there. It, it was a double blessing on both ends. You know, being able to, to have them there was the, was the ultimate blessing for me, but then to, to watch them just willingly wash dishes afterwards and put everything away and cleaning up the kitchen was, again, icing on the cake. It was the blessing above uh, of just them being there. It was such an example. But if, if, the, if God wants you to serve on a higher scale, he will invite you to serve on a higher place. And what that is, I don't know. But the greatest I've learned from were seen giving their all behind a pulpit in the word of God, and then they were found addressing a clogged toilet in the restroom after the service was done. 
it's amazing to hear that. You know, these older pastors that I've learned from. Some of them would uh, wear suits to the service, you know, and uh, uh, they'd be uh, they'd be uh, doing something elsewhere where a, a congregation member would be looking for them, and and so one of the other staff would go in search of the pastor, and even though he was an older gentleman who normally wore a suit on Sunday evenings, was found addressing a toilet in the bathroom, but yet nobody's seen that until they went looking for him. And not doing it to give an appearance of humility, okay? But doing it because service to the Lord is a privilege. It's not a right. And we've seen the disciples, you know, fight over who was going to be the greatest among them. We've seen that in in Mark chapter 9. But yet to see someone fighting over who's going to wash the feet of the guest, that hasn't been the case. You know, the Lord's actions and teachings are not just... The opposite of the world's teachings, but as always, it exceeds the world's teachings. That's that's where we see the difference. It is within the world's teachings, his teachings exceed. Where at times we become very impressed with the philosophical outlook. In verse uh, fifteen to twenty-four, it continues to say, "Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things." He said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. See, Jesus gives the parable of the great supper. And I've heard the joke, you know, this it's kind of a joke when someone attempts to be funny, if you will. Uh, they'll ask you what your name is. Uh, and then they, they'll say, can I call you this for short, depending on if you have a long name, you know. Um, and then their response is something like, well, you can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. Okay, and that's always been kind of like a little joke that people would use. And it's not often that people will turn down an invitation to a dinner or to a banquet, but it does happen. See, the man sitting at the table with Jesus saw the glory of God's kingdom, but wasn't sure on how to get in. In these days, it was customary to send two invitations. First was to announce the party, and the second one was to announce that everything was ready. And it was an insult to come up with an excuse. Uh, Whenever an invitation was given out, especially when the second invitation was given. Uh, The Lord was giving what may have been the typical excuses of the people, or the land, okay? The oxen uh, were the material things. The wife was putting someone else of importance over the Lord. Okay, these were those were these were the typical excuses. We can relate, you know, to the Old and New Testament in the invitation given in the Old Testament. God gave the invitation to Israel to receive Him in the banquet, and and they did receive Him. 
But in the second invitation, when Christ came onto the scene, they denied him. And the invitation, many at the time did come, but praise be to God that many since then have come to the invitation since 2,000 years of his arrival. In the parable, the master sent someone to bring in the poor, the needy, the blind, to the banquet, as God sent his only begotten son to the whole world as they are needing of salvation. You know, it doesn't matter what their financial or social status was to the wealthiest, to the poorest. Each one has a soul in which is in need of salvation. And see, we're making excuses to avoid the call of God. Or are we making the excuses to avoid the call of God? Is the question. See, this is the reminder that if we continue to avoid the call, he was making known that the the invitation will go out to others. And then it will be too late to get to the banquet. I don't know when that would be, which is why we should never gamble with time. Because we don't know when time is up. I mentioned earlier about uh, when I started this off in the form of gambling, how people will gamble everything they've got, and time is another thing that we cannot gamble with. He's inviting us to a banquet, not a labor camp. But even a labor camp with Christ is more pleasant than a banquet that's a couple hours long. It's an invitation to an eternal banquet for all who want to come. And this is one you don't want to avoid. And and for those who did avoid, I can guarantee that they wish they didn't avoid this banquet uh, uh, request or this invitation. Let's look at 25 to 35. Now great multitudes went with him. And he returned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall he be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for, nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, I want to first make known something important in which was most likely mistaken by many after reading verse 26. That if someone does not hate his, his mother, father, family, and, and his own life, they cannot follow me as a, a disciple. When we say the word hate... You know, that is a brutal word of the, of the ultimate dislike. But in the Bible, whether in Greek or Hebrew, it was a term for to love less than. See, Christ was the, the ultimate example of one who lived selflessly. He lived and died for us. The people understood what he meant by bearing your own cross. 
you know, Romans forced a criminal to carry their own cross in which they would be executed on. It, it was an observing that, that the one to die was to be submissive to the Roman government. And as a disciple, there was a submission to Christ in which the question w uh, would be, are you willing to die and bear that cross for Christ? W would you be willing to count that cost? But let's look at why. We, you know, we all dedicate ourselves to something or someone. We dedicate ourselves to our careers, uh, our school, uh, maybe a particular relationship. And sometimes we dedicate ourselves to a hobby. But in the truth of it all, what are we giving ourselves to? In a career, you can be let go for any given reason after years of dedicated service. A relationship can be ended because one person just isn't happy with you anymore, so they walk away from you. A hobby is nothing more than an activity to fill a gap in someone's life or time filler when they're bored. See, Jesus loves us at all times. He is the only one who will not leave or forsake us. He doesn't get bored with you or stops loving you. So, so why put someone or something else above him? He gave, he gave the insight that if you love others or other things more than him, you can't be his disciple. And it, it was an honor for me to give some of the reasons in which he said why. Because we live in a mindset of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, if we treasure Christ, we won't worry about treasuring the things that turn into trash. He calls us to be salt of the earth. Is salt preserved meat in these days? Okay, there, there wasn't uh, there wasn't refrigeration back in these days. Okay, so what they did was they would pour salt and rub it on the meat and on their food in order to preserve it. But it also helped flavor it as well. See, we're called to be the salt of the earth. We are to help preserve the earth and to do it without losing its flavor. And and question is, is why do we lose our flavor? It's because we start to blend in with the world. When you start to blend in, then the seasoning is no good. If we're not a light, then we just blend in with the darkness. Jesus gives us treasure from his word. He gave us light by his presence. And he brought salt by his actions. Which is the only thing that has preserved the world. And, and however it's changed for the better. But what has been preserved was through him. And he gave us the gifts. He gave us the abilities to help preserve it. But the abilities come from within. And when Christ is in you, then everything else can come out into the light. You know, I, I think one of the most profound things I could ever remember hearing. In, in the outlook of putting God first. Is that if we love something... Or if we love someone else more than we do God, then our Lord has an adversary. And I've said before, I've said it again, I've read the whole Bible before. I've actually taught just about the whole Bible over a period of years. And I can tell you from, from what I've read, I can tell you from what I've experienced in life and in, in observing the life of others. God does not lose a battle. That is a fight 
<laughs> there is no argument that could be won when it comes to that of our Lord. We must submit. But it's not a forced. It's not a forced submission. It's one out of love. It's one out of honor. It's one out of dedication because the Bible says where your heart is is where your treasure will be. And like I said before, you know, we've heard the saying, another man's trash, or one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, that's an interesting thing to treasure. But to treasure a Lord and Savior who died for the sins of the world, who died for you and I, when we were undeserving, how could we not treasure such a thing there? And, and also to treasure the fact that while we're here, the fact that, that not only did he, does he receive us into his kingdom just by believing in him, that he rewards us when we do serve him in truth and we do serve him with love and diligence, that there is rewards to be given in heaven. What that is, I don't know, but I, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to be there. I just want to be there for him and with him because of everything he's done and continues to do. So what do you want? You could live for yourself. And you could dedicate yourself to your your job. You could dedicate yourself to your hobbies and your sports or whatever it is to a person. Well, it's 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 going to last for a time and you might get some temporary recognition, but it's not going to last. Because the only thing that does last is what we do for that of our Lord and Savior, which never fades in heaven. But you have to do something first in order to know what that is. You have to receive Him. You have to receive Him first in order to know what that feels like. We can't just be going out and doing a bunch of good things and figure that we're making Him proud because when we're doing things on our own, we're doing them in the name of ourself. We're doing it to glorify ourselves. And that's not what He's looking for. We want to glorify Him. And He smiles upon us when we do that. And there is nothing better than that feeling. So the most important thing you can do right now is to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Because that is your ticket into heaven. And like He said, seek first the kingdom of God, which is Him. And then whatever else He wants to give to you, well then... Get ready because it's going to be something good, whatever it is. But the greatest gift is to be taken right now. If you're willing to to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, all it is is a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer of repentance and receiving as Jesus is your Father and your Lord. So if you want to receive Him, if you feel that that nudge from the Holy Spirit, I want you to say this prayer after me. Dear God, Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, to cleanse me of my sins. Renew me, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will receive me into your kingdom when my time is up, Lord. As you are now my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross. And Lord, thank you for having me, as Lord, as I now have you. Father, I love you. 
I praise you. I receive you now as my Father and Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, that's always like what I like to call the icing on the cake. There's nothing better than receiving the Lord. There, there's nothing better than, than knowing that He has a place for us. And i got to tell you, it'll be great to, to know that, that you're there. And that we'll be there together. So I want to invite you again to follow along as if you've said this prayer, you've done the greatest decision in your life by receiving salvation. But I want you to continue to follow along to be watered and to grow. To know our Lord more and more. How would we not want to know our Father? Well, we can only do that from His Word. So may you be blessed and may you continue to journey with Him and walk with Him closely. God bless you.